One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength, and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now. Tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, All this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep, pulled up the pin with the loom and with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding corn in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. 
Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god, saying, Our god has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel for 20 years. This is God's word. Thanks, Ashley, for reading the passage to us. Hi, everyone. Let me have my welcome to you. Jules from the start, great to see you here. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Mark Jackson. I'm one of the ministers here, and a particular warm welcome if this is your first time with us. Great to have you here as we continue the sermon series in the book of Judges. Now let me pray for us, and then we will look at chapter 16 together. Father God, thank you very much for all that you have been teaching us and speaking to us from the book of Judges. And we ask, Father, for more of the same today. Please would we hear your voice through these words written by your spirit hundreds of years ago, but just as relevant for us today. Please give us humble hearts to hear the challenging truths contained in it. And please, Father, would you draw us, wherever we're coming from to today, closer to you and in closer dependence of you. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, Time magazine recently spoke about the rise of the strongman in world politics. I'm not sure if you've come across this. There's quite a few commentators uh, talking about it at the moment. Um, I think it began a few years ago when Vladimir Putin um, was photographed um, shirtless on horseback uh, in Russia, um, looking virulent and strong. And after the fall of the Soviet Union, here is someone who can bring back political and economic stability. And it continued with the French president, Emmanuel Macron. He turned up to the Air Force Base dressed in this tight, Top Gun-esque flight suit, stating categorically to his defense ministers, I am the boss, um, even though he'd never flown before. And of course, we see it in President Trump, supposedly making America great again, as he's shooting from the hip and he's attacking the press and he's building a wall and he's giving it to the Washington elite, this, this rise of the strongman in world politics today. And people are saying, like, why is it happening? Where's this come from? And Time Magazine, the social commentators, suggest that in times of uncertainty, this is where we tend to look. In times of uncertainty, 
instability. This is what we think we need for stability, for security, for certainty. This strong man, this strong person. Now, is it really the case? If anyone could lay claim to being the ultimate strong man, it is Samson. Chosen by God, empowered by God's Holy Spirit. The sort of strength that puts these three world leaders I've just mentioned in the shade. But does it protect Samson? Does it protect the nation of Israel? No, it does not. Things go spectacularly wrong for Samson here, as we're about to see. I don't know if you ever think to yourself, if only I was more powerful, then I could really deal with the issues in my life. Because this passage is a warning to us. A warning not to place our hope in human strength, human power. There's only one person who can protect us. It's not Samson, and it's not any world leader today. Two things then for us to see. You'll see them come up on the screen. First, how strength can make us weak. Secondly, how weakness can make us strong. First, how strength can make us weak, and there are three parts to it. First part, if our strength makes us reckless with sin. Because Samson may be physically strong, but he is morally weak. And in verses 1 to 3, Samson lets his lust, his sexual lust, get the better of him again. Glance down with me to verse 1, we're on page 259, Judges chapter 16. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute, and he went in to spend the night with her. We may wonder why the author includes a little incident in verses 1 to 3. Why not just jump to verse 4? Jump to Delilah. We know that's where his downfall really is. Why spend some time here on this little incident? Why do we need to know it? Because the author wants us to see that this is a recurring pattern in Samson's life. This is not... This is not his first like, tripping up in lust with a woman. He's done it before. He'll do it again. We saw him last week with the Philistine woman looking at her, wanting to marry her, the trouble it got him into. We'll see the trouble it gets him into here. And we'll see the downfall that comes in a moment with Delilah. This is not the first time. This is a recurring pattern. And what we see here with Samson's recklessness with lust, we see him sowing the seeds of his own downfall. And you might think, well, why is he so reckless with his sin? Why is he so reckless with lust? Why does he keep falling into the same old trap? Well, look at what often happens in verse 2 to 3. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn we'll kill him. Here's the danger he's in, the danger, the trouble he's bringing on himself. But, verse 3, Samson lay there only until the middle of the night, Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them onto his shoulders and carried them off to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. In other words, Samson's lust may get him into trouble, but Samson's strength gets him out of trouble. We've seen it before, we see it here, and that is why Samson is so reckless with his sin, because he thinks he can get away with it and keep getting away with it. Especially when he has strength like this, 
and can lift up these massive city gates on his shoulders and march them off 40 miles to this hill over Hebron. He thinks there won't be any consequences to his sin. But what we have got to see is that sin always has consequences. And you won't keep getting away with it. What is worrying, even here in verses 1 to 3, is there is no mention of the Spirit of the Lord. Last week, we kept being told in Samson's show of strength, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, but there is no mention of the Spirit here. There are always consequences. How does our strength make us weak? If it makes us reckless with sin. If we think our giftedness means we can get away with it that our sin does not have consequences. Now look, I need to apply this into the area of sex and relationships because this is the very area which Samson himself struggles in and is caught out in. So let me mention pornography. And perhaps it's a habit that you've been caught in for a while now. And there haven't been any serious consequences so far. Maybe it's been a habit going on for years. Perhaps it's just a bit of fun to you. Perhaps it's just a bit of light relief. But I hope we can see that if you continue to be reckless with this particular sin, you will be sowing the seeds of your own downfall. Be it the damage to your soul, be it the damage or threat you will do to a future marriage or your current marriage if you are in one. And you might think, I'll get away with it. I'll keep getting away with it. And actually, look, the Lord seems to be blessing me in other parts of my life. Do not be fooled. There are always consequences. Your lust will find you out. Don't be reckless with it. Repent of it. Be warned relationships. Could be you're a leader here in the church. You're gifted. You're serving. From the outside, everything looks great to us. But on the inside, you know you are nursing an idol of marriage. You are desperate for a relationship. And you are getting more and more resentful of your singleness. And so you know deep inside you're beginning to look elsewhere. You're looking at non-Christian boys, non-Christian girls. And they seem so supportive of your Christian faith and they say they'll never get in the way. And hey, look, they even started coming along to church. Of course, you'll never marry them, you say, not until they become a Christian. But do you see? If you continue to be reckless with this idol of marriage, valuing relationship marriage more than your relationship with the Lord. There will be consequences, and these could be consequences you are living with for the rest of your life. Do not be fooled. Doesn't matter how gifted a Christian you are, how strong you may think you are, we must never be reckless with sin. And if neither of these areas particularly apply to you right now, so let me ask, what areas do you know you are being reckless with your sin right now? Because here is the warning, the warning of Samson, sowing the seeds of his own downfall. 
let's make sure we're not doing a similar thing. So that's the first way our strength can make us weak. The second way, second part, is if it makes us feel invincible. In verses 4 to 20, Samson falls in love with Delilah. Another woman, his third woman. Well, the third woman we're talked about. There could be a load more, we don't know. Uh, Delilah's only in it for the money. Verse 5, these 1,100 shekels of silver from each of the five Philistine rulers, that's tens of thousands of pounds that she is offered if she can lure Samson into telling her the secret um, of his strength. And she tries once, twice, three times, and on the fourth time, she succeeds. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was reading this, you know, for the first time, one of the questions I had was, why does Samson tell her? Clearly, he knows what is going on. Clearly, he knows what she's trying to do. In verse 6, she even asks him straight out. This is her first attempt in verse 6. Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. You know, just out of interest. It's just not very subtle. And you say, well, you know, let's give, you know, Samson's giving Delilah the benefit of the doubt for the relationship. But then after he lies the first time about these bowstrings, you know, Delilah says, hey, Philistines are here. And they jump out, you know, where they're hiding in the room to try and get him. And I guess, yes, his strength helps him out. But from that moment, he knows, he knows what Delilah's doing. And yet he still toys with her. Second time, third time, fourth time, and in the end, tells her everything. Why? Why does he do this? Now, at this point, you know, some of the commentators try and sort of psychoanalyze Samson and says, you know, he just wants the love of a woman and wants to be like any other man. Um, he was never really into this Nazarite vow, and here's his chance to get out. He's hooked on danger like he's hooked on women. I mean, you guys are finding it a bit funny. I mean, it's very inventive. Um, it's not where the text goes. We've got to keep what the by God's word saying. Look at what the text does say in verse 16. It says, With such nagging, Delilah prodded Samson day after day until he was sick to death of it. So on a superficial level, he tells her, he's just fed up with it all. Shut up, stop nagging me. On a more deeper level, look at what Samson thinks in verse 20, after his hair is cut off. Verse 20 he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Now, isn't that interesting? Here is Samson, and he thinks he is invincible. He thinks he's got his strength, whether his hair is cut or not. I mean, he's already broken two of his three Nazarite vows. He's scooped the honey and eaten that from an unclean animal. He's drunk an alcohol at this wedding feast. Nothing changed then. Actually, he's got stronger, you could say. So, probably the same thing again. If I lose my hair, it doesn't matter. I will still have this strength. He thinks he is invincible. He thinks he will always have this strength. And that's why he tells Delilah. That's why he toys with Delilah. That's why he flirts with his sin rather than flees from his sin. He should have been out of there straight away on that second point. He knows what Delilah's doing with the second question. Should have fled from it. Like Joseph of Potiphar, he doesn't. He loves the thrill of it all. Maybe he does love the danger of it because he thinks he is invincible, he can handle it, I've got it under control, I'm all right. He's invincible when he's not, and it all goes horrifically wrong for him. 
Just because you walk into a cage with a wild tiger and manage to escape the first time, second, and third time does not mean it isn't going to maul you to death the fourth time. So it is with Samson. So it is with our sin. The Bible describes sin like a predator crouching at the door, ready to pounce. And just because it hasn't got you, mauled you yet, does not mean it won't maul you the next time. Just one more drink, just one more hit, just one more click on that computer screen. And before you know it, you are trapped, you are addicted, and you cannot shake yourself free. And you don't have to be be a Christian for this to happen to you. Think of Tiger Woods, arguably the most gifted golfer of his generation, perhaps ever. Someone who had it all, money, fame, wife, family, sponsorship deals, everything, until he wrapped his car around a tree. And it was discovered that he had this whole string of affairs going back many years, and you know, perhaps he thought he could get away with it. He's got away with it before so many years. He's invincible. I'm the first billion-dollar sportsman. I'm all right. And yet his whole world came crashing down around him. Lost his wife, lost his family, lost his sponsorship, lost 10 years of his career, lost his friends, Patrick Harrington. Can I ask you, is there any area of your life where you feel you're invincible? Or is there any area of your life right now where you are flirting with sin rather than fleeing from it? Whenever we think to ourselves, I can handle this, I've got this under control, we are setting ourselves up for a fall. And our world could come crashing down around us sooner than we realize. Third way, our strength can make us weak is if it makes us forget about God. Verse 20 again. Samson awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But... He did not know that the Lord had left him. Now, what a devastating sentence that is. Not only for the Lord to leave you, but for you to not even know it's happening or happened. So broken already is Samson's relationship with the Lord. There is nothing magical about this hair, okay? It's not like his strength is dependent on the length of his hair. His strength is dependent on the Lord. A Lord he has forgotten about a long time ago. His losing of his strength, this was just waiting to happen. It could have happened at any time. Any of these outward signs of there's something seriously wrong on the inside. When he first saw that Philistine woman and tried to marry her contrary to God's word. The first time he scooped the honey from the unclean animal, drank the alcohol as a Nazarite he couldn't. Or even the cutting of the hair. It could have happened at any time. As this man Samson was depending on his strength and not depending on the Lord. The one who gives him his strength. And so the Lord took it from him. 
remember the first time I ever preached a sermon. I was utterly terrified. I was on my knees for days in the run-up to it. I must have depended on the Lord for every word that came out of my mouth on that first sermon. But the second preach, third preach, fourth preach, fifth preach, well, less terrified. 20th, 30th, 40th, 50th, already less prayerful, more self-reliant, more trusting in my own abilities or what people said about me rather than the Lord. Oh my goodness, it is so dangerous. So dangerous when we let our successes, our strengths, our giftings, which come from the Lord, <laughs> move us to forget about him and become more dependent on ourselves and less dependent on him. It is so dangerous. I wonder what the danger is for you. Beware your strength, your gifting, making you forget about the Lord. Would you describe yourself as a self-made person? I'm a success, I've made it, got to where I am through my own hard work. But at the same time, less dependent on the Lord now, less caring about him, even when every breath you take is a gift from him. Are you a gifted person in church, be it leader, singer, server, administrator? We all have gifts. Do we find ourselves focusing more on our gifts than we do focusing on the Lord? Because that is how we make an idol of our gifts. That is how we look for satisfaction, fulfillment elsewhere rather than in the Lord. And so we use our gifts to seek the praise and affirmation of others rather than depending on the Lord who gives them all to us. Let us learn the lesson of Samson. Let us learn the lesson of the ultimate strong man chosen by God, empowered by the Spirit, and yet the Lord left him and Samson didn't even know about it. Well, if that's how strength can make us weak, let's move on secondly, more briefly, and more hopefully, to how weakness can make us strong. Because in verse 21, the Philistines seize Samson, they gouge out his eyes, and take him down to Gaza. They bind him with bronze shackles, and they set him to grinding corn in the prison. This, by the way, is the first time in the book of Judges that one of God's judges is defeated. This is how serious things have got, how low things have got. But, verse 22, the author of Judges is just a genius with words and storytelling. But, the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, why tell us that? Unless there's a chance of redemption. Why tell us that unless the Lord has not finished with Samson? And so, verse 23, the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. That's not true. The God of the Bible delivered Samson into the Philistines because the God of the Bible had left Samson, and it is the God of the Bible who has still got something to say and do to the Philistines. Verse 25, the Philistines are in high spirits. They shout, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they do. And out comes Samson and he asks the servant to put him up against the pillars that support the temple. 
We're told in verse 27, all the rulers of the Philistines were there, as well as 3,000 on the roof. And then in verse 28, Samson prays to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now look, Samson is still thinking of himself. Um, he is still thinking about revenge you know, for his two eyes. But do you see now the humble trust and faith that Samson now has in God? Sovereign Lord. He did not pray like this before in the previous chapter. He just made a demand of God. Didn't even mention him by name. No, now it's Sovereign Lord. You are in control. You are in control of this world and my life. Please strengthen me. This humble plea for strength. He's not demanding it of God. He's asking for it because he recognizes strength as a gift, a gift he doesn't deserve. And amazingly, the Lord answers Samson's prayer and gives him strength. And Samson pushes with all his might at the two pillars. And Samson literally brings the house down as a temple collapses and crushes all the rulers of the Philistines and everyone in it. At his weakest, that is when Samson is at his strongest. The moment he is most dependent on the Lord, possibly dependent on the Lord for the first time in his life, that is his greatest victory. Such that we're told in verse 30 that thus Samson killed many more when he died than while he lived. Why is Samson in the hero of faith in Hebrews chapter 11? Why is he described, verse 34, as having his weakness turned into strength? This is why. Because he humbled himself before the Lord. Because he cried out to the Lord in humble faith and trust in God. And God gave him this marvellous victory over God's enemies, the Philistines. How weakness can be turned to strength. In his 2001 book, uh, Good to Great, Jim Collins um, researched 1,500 Fortune 500 companies trying to work out how they went from a good company to a great company. Good company, um, following average market performance for 15 years. A great company, three times the average market performance for 15 years. How do you go from a good company to a great company? Lots of insights came out of it. One particularly in, for this purpose was what they discovered about the characteristics of the leaders of these great companies. And do you know what the number one attribute, the number one characteristic was of these leaders? Humility. Humility, quote, those who have an accurate perception of their strengths and their weaknesses and know their need of others. Well, that is finally what Samson has, an accurate assessment, perception of who he is, his strengths, his weaknesses, his need of others, and in particular, his need of God, the one who he is dependent on for everything. And as a result of this humility, this trust in God, he now achieves under God more in just his death than he does throughout his life. So let me ask you, do you have an accurate perception of who you are? Your strengths, your weaknesses, 
your need of others, and in particular, your need of God, who you are dependent on for everything. Any success, any strength, any gifting you have is precisely that, a gift from the Lord. And do we recognize our weaknesses enough to actually turn to the Lord for his God-given strength to avoid the pitfalls that Samson gets caught up in? His lust, his anger, his vengefulness, his complacency. And in all this, we need to remember Jesus Christ. We need to remember our perfect judge. One who too died with his arms outstretched. One who, whose death as well was the moment of his greatest victory. Of course, Jesus didn't deserve to die like Samson, but Jesus willingly died, willingly humbled himself for you and for me and for our sin and our lust and for all the times we forget about the Lord. And he did this so that you and I can always have hope, no matter how hopeless the situation may be, no matter how far we fall like Samson. There is always the offer of forgiveness with Jesus Christ, no matter how bound and blind and imprisoned to sin we may be there is always a helping hand with the Lord Jesus if only we would cry out to him for that help now will you do that if you are someone here weighed down by the guilt of past sexual sin will you cry out to the Lord for forgiveness because he will give it to you right now Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. It is a promise. You can claim it now. It is those who admit their unrighteousness before the Lord that receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do it. Do it now. Receive it. You are clean. You are fine before the Lord. You have nothing to worry about anymore. You are forgiven. Forever. Are you someone here trapped in some sexual sin. I keep going after sexual sin because that is what Samson fell into himself. If that is you, if you feel you can't change, you can't escape, you can't set yourself free, will you cry out to the Lord for power to change? You can't change. I can't change. Not by ourselves. We're too weak. But will you recognize your weakness and let it move you to the Lord for his God-given strength to change? It is here, available right now, Come to him, say, Lord, I can't change. Will you change me? He will do it. Slowly, sometimes immediately, over time. How strength can make us weak, well, it will do. If we're reckless with sin, if it makes us feel invincible, if it makes us forget about God. But our weakness can make us strong if we humble ourselves before the Lord and we grow in deeper dependence of him. Well, let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for all that you've been teaching us through the life of Samson. And Father, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to heed the warning <clears throat> of this passage. If there's any areas of our life where we are being reckless with our sin or feeling invincible or forgetting about you, please, Father, would you move us to repentance, confession, receive your forgiveness. Would we humble ourselves before you? Would you give us your supernatural strength? to be set free from idols, set free from negative patterns of thought 
and behavior, to live rightly for you, depending not on our gifts or our strength or our successes, but depending only on you and growing in that dependence. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.